What are the strategies people can use to overcome anxiety then? There are three core ones. Good evening, everyone who's tuned in to listen. This is Jacqueline White on the Chatterbox podcast, streaming on a multitude of platforms. I am joined my co-host. Hi, everyone. My name is Elliot Oaks, and welcome back. Sorry for not uploading. I was just super busy with the university. It's actually mad, but, yeah. you know, it's all over with now, and we're back with a banger. Before this episode even starts, we've just got a quick disclaimer. Within this podcast, we'll be discussing some potentially triggering subjects as we will be delving into the world of psychology. It's also important to note, please don't self-diagnose. If you do have any concerns, please be professionally assessed. Anyway, today we are joined with Danilo, who is a psychologist and a certified coach and the host of The Psychologist Reacts. Yes, hello. Thanks for having me and nice to be here. It's brilliant to have you. It's brilliant to have you, Danilo. Um, and I just wanted to know, so, so who is Danilo? I mean, what, what do you do? Obviously, you're a psychologist. How long have you been doing psychology and where are you based? Uh, I am based in the Netherlands, in Amsterdam specifically. Um, I have graduated from my master's in psychology in 2010. Have a bit of a, a, a I don't know, like colorful, uh, I would say, life history. So I haven't actually been working uh, as a psychologist. Uh, I have, uh, however, started or regained contact with the world of psychology through a coaching education that I followed from uh, 2016 to 19, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and I've been building up my coaching practice ever since and kind of discovered uh, podcasting as a good means to uh, yeah get back in touch with my. My roots in psychology so i'm actually not a psychotherapist important disclaimer um but yes i'm a coach and a psychologist and uh, this is this is more or less the timeline yeah yeah and what a timeline as well you know it sounds like you've done a hell of a lot of stuff there which is super exciting because jack and i have wanted to speak to a psychologist for like the longest of time especially with how mad this year has been you know with, unfortunately with mental health issues rising you know, there, there are loads, like loads of different mental health issues. But the two main ones you hear a lot about, especially is like anxiety and depression. So if someone is suffering from one of these, what's a couple of tips and tricks you give them to potentially help them? Mm -hmm. uh, shall we start with anxiety? Yeah, if you'd like to, it's all good. Yeah. Um, okay, so anxiety, I would say that it's a term that is thrown around quite loosely often. So I would I would like to differentiate a few different types of anxiety or kind of um, shed a bit of light on, on the complexity of the topic, if that's okay with you. Um, so it's important to understand that anxiety is not just one thing. It really manifests in very different shapes and forms. So it can be very broad and all-encompassing. For example, if you think about the generalized anxiety disorder, also often abbreviated with a GAD, um, that is, I would say, uh, typically... Um, manifesting itself through very persistent and excessive worries and that can be worries about all types of different stuff i think of money health family friendships work uh, all that kind of stuff um and it's uh, typical that people experiencing this would have a very or would have great difficulties to control these worries even if there is no apparent reason to be worried in the first place um, and often it's also accompanied by really physical manifestations such as restlessness or muscle soreness that comes up more easily, uh, decreased concentration, bad quality of sleep, etc. So this is a really broad uh, type of anxiety. But then there are also much more specific types of anxiety. Think of, for example, social anxiety, which is often um, uh, described as social phobia. Also, it's kind of a synonym for it. Um, which is much more prevalent, in, as the name also says, in social situations. 
Uh, and that would be typically situations in which a subject would be scared of embarrassing themselves, such as, I don't know, situations in which they meet strangers or uh, want to go on a date or have to make conversations with people that they know not all that well. Um, and mostly in situations, in fact, where they fear that they would be perceived or judged negatively. So imagine, you know, uh, a conversation with a stranger and then alongside that, the fear of feeling or the fear of being judged as being stupid weak and anxious so that is like a bit more specific let's say than the GAD that I described in the first place and then there are very very granular type of uh, phobias so imagine somebody uh, being phobic and have, uh, super scared of spiders for example um, mm. and all these are actually different types of anxieties that's I just wanted to underline this because often anxiety is kind of uh, thrown through the through the air as a I don't know uh, all-encompassing word that yeah, I don't know. This is anxiety, but anxiety is actually many different things. Yeah, yeah. It's crazy to think as well how uneducated people are nowadays in terms of um, knowing the types of anxieties and how to identify them and get the right help for them as well. Um, and what would you, how would you sort of um, tell society? I mean, obviously we need to be more educated when it comes to mental health. What do you think we should be doing as society to sort of get more educated and do more things and be able to identify more mental health issues? I don't know if it's important for everybody to be super educated on them, but it's for sure important that when you start feeling that something is not uh, uh, right with you, which is already, I don't know, probably tendentially pathologizing the whole situation. But if you start to feel discomfort, uh, that could be related to one of these forms of anxiety. I think it's just really helpful to read up on it and also open up to friends and families because uh, it's important to understand that it's a really, really prevalent issue right especially when it comes to anxiety uh depending on the country that you live in but estimations rank from 2.5 percent to 7 percent of the entire population so that would actually be one in 14 people uh suffering from one of these forms of anxiety so if you think of opening up to people and overcoming the shame and the stigma that is often associated with anxiety it can really be helpful because you can be pretty sure that a bunch of people in your life have already dealt with something similar if they're not even dealing with it right now. So I would say that reading, but also sharing and overcoming the shame that is often associated for whichever reason with uh, being anxious or depressed for that matter can really help. Yeah. It's quite scary to think how many people um, before mental health issues were so common, uh, you know, identified it's common, um, how many people would have suffered from, from them, you know, years and years in, in the past mm -hmm. and no one known about it. You know, I mean, people suffering from anxiety and maybe, you know, suicide and no one would have understood it back, I don't know, let's say 50 years ago or 100 years ago. Um, and it's crazy to think, isn't it? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely agree. Mm, it is a bit mad. And as, just as you mentioned there about opening up to society, is that actually like one of the strategies that someone can use to overcome anxiety? I think it could be one of them. I would say that... Um there are three core ones that I would say in terms of, of self-help, if you will, could be could be useful to speak about in the context also of our of our conversation. But it is also really important to understand that uh, depending on the degree of anxiety, um, there are certain or let me take it one step back there. There are generally uh, for all types of mental disorders, there are specific criteria to diagnose them. And let's say 
if on the continuum from not being anxious at all, which very rarely happens, to having the full-blown version of an anxiety disorder, whichever one it is, um, there are, of course, different, different, let's say, shades and degrees of anxiety. And it's not that you are either an anxious or not an anxious person. We all are somewhere on that spectrum. But it's also true that from some moment we could speak about having passed the threshold of it being clinically relevant. And when that is the case, I would say that definitely don't only uh, uh, apply self-help principles, but really go seek a professional. And we can speak about that later, I guess. Um, but yeah, so I think it's important to dist distinguish between a level in which you are somewhat functional and you can uh, uh, revert to, um, or to, let's say, more self-help uh, type of principles and there is degrees in which I would 100% recommend that you really seek out a healthcare professional a health mental health professional and uh, and tackle it yeah with professional support yeah i'm feeding back onto your point then as well would you say that everyone suffers from anxiety at least once in their life um i would not say that necessarily okay. I, even though i i'm pretty convinced that we do but i would definitely say that everybody is somewhere on the continuum of yeah. anxiety same as for all other mental diseases or personality types or uh, personality tendencies so it's not like you're either a narcissist or you're not you're somewhere on the spectrum of narcissism same for depression same for anxiety same for histrionic uh, personality disorder whatever you want everybody is somewhere on the continuum so you know i i prefer to see it that way rather than say you're a depressed person and you're not you're just somewhere else on the spectrum of depression yeah yeah yeah, yeah i mean it's quite interesting listening to what you had to say about the concept of open up to some people and ju just talking to them can be enough obviously depending on where they are on that spectrum like you were saying but it can genuinely be enough can it absolutely yeah yeah that's what what i spoke about before i think it's very very important also just in general to destigmatize the whole topic of anxiety or depression for that matter because I do think that often staying with the sensation of being inadequate by yourself can just uh, keep you in this mental loop of worries and shame rather than taking you out of it. So I definitely think that opening up can be a very important first step to understanding that you're not alone. Mm, yeah, definitely. I can see that being really advantageous. And just going back a little bit, in our introduction, we mentioned that you have a podcast. I'm just wondering how long you've been doing that for now then? It's actually quite recent. I've started it three months ago at this point, maybe two and a half, three months. Okay. Um, I had been ideating, I would say, for two months before that. So I would say that I've been busy with, with having a podcast since mm -hmm. December last year. Ah, and, and do you, um, just, just out of curiosity, do, do you ever um, recommend your podcast to your clients to sort of get some extra help when they're at home as well? Mm, not so much. I must say that the podcast that I'm running is not so much about mental health. I, it is Psychologist Reacts, but it's more so looking at the world and, and current events in the world through the lens of psychology. Um, it's not so much about uh, necessarily how to deal with anxiety and depression, which is something mm -hmm. I, I can give, of course, recommendations about, but it's something that I think enough podcasts or literature exist about. So I, I yeah. don't necessarily find it a huge added value to the landscape of podcasts. So what I do is more reacting, let's say, for example, you know, uh, in, in the in the context of the last elections uh, in, in mm. the United States, QAnon mm. was a big topic. So I think like, okay, what is QAnon and why do people believe in conspiracy theories? Or I might even be looking at pop culture phenomena such as the Free Britney movement and understand, try and understand why people worship celebrities or, you know, things like this. So it's not necessarily a mental health podcast necessarily, 
but it's just based on the fact that I'm a psychology and I can look at the world uh, probably differently from someone who is not a psychology a psychologist to begin with. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, I mean, it really is, and especially how you react to current events. You know, that's that's quite cool and unique. And obviously, a massive one for you to talk about would have been COVID, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering, actually, how would someone go about looking after their mental health, especially during these times? You know, I know we're kind of getting out of it now, but what what's some tools and tips you could give someone that could potentially help them? Mm-hmm. It's it's very it's a broad question, so I'm trying to kind of specify. I mean, it's a bit of top of mind ideas. Um, I would say that generally structure can really help. Uh, so really having, and I I, ref, I say this because at least in my specific situation, uh, I can I could potentially wake up in my apartment, uh, uh, brush my teeth, get ready for the day, stay in my apartment, work all day, and then just stay in and go to bed at one point after having watched Netflix and had dinner. Um, that of course can just cause a very strange mental and physical blur i would say for which everything seems the same and every day seems the same so in that sense having a clear structure in which you kind of integrate activities that are either outside of your house or that are a bit extraordinary to your let's say work routine can really help um i think the body is very very important so really integrate your body in into um daily routines that could be i don't know if you have a garden by gardening or it could be by planning in daily walks it could even be i don't know fitness routines uh doing yoga etc i would definitely say um if you think of uh self-help and kind of mental clarity and sharpness in the in the period of this pandemic i would say also cut back on drugs I mean, drugs, not necessarily heroin and cocaine and stuff, but even just alcohol and uh, marijuana and maybe, uh, I don't know, uh, subscription drugs that you're taking if they're not super important for your uh, physical health. Yeah. I'd say it's important not to overwhelm yourself, practice mindfulness, connect with others and share, you know, like all all that stuff that we kind of already um, talked about. But I do also think it's very important um, to to get help um when let's say um mental unwell-being starts to take the upper hand you know so if you really feel that self-help won't cut it for you and structuring structuring your everyday life won't cut it for you anymore and that it's it's just uh, uh increasing in severity then i would really recommend getting getting professional help what you said about um drugs was actually a really interesting point because um obviously in the netherlands it's legal to smoke marijuana oh um i I think that's is that everywhere (laughs) or is that just in uh, because obviously you're in amsterdam aren't you the capital everyone goes um are you planning your next trip well well, maybe maybe (laughs) we're thinking about it but um uh, obviously in the uk as well we're not um we're not legal yet we might be in the future possibly Mm -hmm. most likely but not at the moment do you think be, uh, having marijuana illegal to smoke or to use is just whenever you like is a good thing do you think it's actually helping people when it comes to mental health or is it is it negative um i think my opinion on this uh, first of all i'm not really an expert on this because i'm not okay. not a smoker uh or ha- haven't been for, for many 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 years um yeah so in that sense i'm probably not the best person to ask generally i think there's two different levels to the questions of, uh, to this question on, on the one hand it's it's more of a political uh, uh debate i guess uh and then there's the the healthcare aspect or the the mental health aspect to it so let's talk about that then yeah let's talk about the mental health and health aspect <laughs> um 
So I do, I do definitely see with people who uh, smoke very frequently that it does have a very big impact on on their personalities and on um, mm. their uh, functioning in everyday life, uh, and also the degree of of how functional they actually are and what they need to do. Uh, I've seen people uh, change. Uh, not personality very drastically, but the way that their personality is able to express very drastically mm. when cutting back on on marijuana. Um, so I I do think that it's um, I really I, I'm I really don't want to don't want to stigmatize it and say like hey this is the drug that will open the doors to the hell of drugs for you you know it's not yeah it's really not about that but I do really see that very frequent marijuana use and I'm talking daily or even multiple times daily does definitely have an impact on how people are able to express themselves uh, um, or their personalities on how yeah efficient they are and how much energy they have in order yeah. to pursue their daily activities, etc. Yeah, I guess it's sort of the same with alcohol, isn't it? I mean, with any sort of drug, like even caffeine. Absolutely, yes. It's a really interesting point because, I mean, obviously with um, COVID and mental health on the rise, especially in the UK as well, um, I know a lot of, gov a lot of parties are um, talking about legalising cannabis and it's just a really interesting uh, thing to talk about because you never know, you, d you don't know what it's going to be like until you do it. Um, and it's just, yeah, what, what's going to happen sort of situation. I mean, it's also true that people don't smoke more just because it's legal. I mean, all my friends in Italy smoke mm. and it's not legal in Italy to smoke. Yeah. But, you know, if, if you really want to smoke marijuana, you will find a way to purchase it somewhere and smoke it, you know. So in that sense, I, that's what I meant. It's not there's a, is a, a political and let's say uh, logical aspect to the question, whether it actually makes sense to prohibit it or not. And then there is, in fact, the one that we spoke about. So in that sense, you know, like people will smoke as much in Wales as they do in Amsterdam, whether it's legal or not. Yeah. I actually have a friend who's a police officer in the Netherlands and he always talks about it. <laughs> he always talks about um, uh, all the British tourism, uh, all the British tourists coming to Amsterdam and getting high and just being absolutely mad. And he just talks about it and it's really interesting. And, uh, you know, one day I want to go meet him, but yeah. It's tragic. I swear, like, the British and the Italians and the Spanish are, first of all, I can recognize them from miles away if I go into the city center during a weekend before pandemic, of course. Uh, but yeah, it's also really tragic to look at it. It's just, it's not fun. Yeah, yeah. I keep forgetting, you know, Jack, that you wanted to be a policeman when, we, when you were younger. So I guess you did a bit of network connections there, you know, getting... Um... <laughs> you know, that was actually got nothing to do with me wanting right. to be a police officer, funny enough. I was just, I just met him through online and <laughs> yeah, he's... Uh... He's a, he's a funny guy. <laughs> kind of makes me wonder now why you truly want to be a policeman. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so going back a little bit then with the fact that we're talking about opening up and talking to people, uh, a big thing to kind of help with that is social media, but then also mm -hmm. the extreme level of where you get an unhealthy relationship with social media. So in a way, how can somebody um, ensure that they're not kind of leaning towards the unhealthy side of things? How could they make sure they're having a healthy relationship with it? It's it's also a very tricky one because it's so much of uh, an integral part to our existence at this point that it's really um, it's hard to tell from when on it's unhealthy because sometimes it's even just I don't know like that the the phone is the place where you access all your social media but it's also the place where you I don't know uh, set your alarm and it's also the place where you uh, could have a meditation app that is all. Uh, supposedly a uh, hundred percent different or the opposite even of of let's mm. say fast social media consumption so in that sense first of all i think it's it's becoming more and more blurry you know like this whole on and mm. off when are you on when are you off kind of idea but generally i think that uh, again structure and rules can be super important uh and and keeping yourself in check mainly so first of all um 
track really how much how much are you on your phone and do you need to be on your phone for 20 minutes on the toilet or could you just leave the toilet uh, the the phone out of the toilet do go about your business and then i don't know access to social media only when you need to you know and uh so like mm. it's it's little things like this to really understand okay first of all be mindful of of you being on social media so such as the thing that i just mentioned you know the toilet example sounds stupid but it's in fact something that happens very often people disappearing for uh, hours on end <laughs> okay um so yeah keep yourself in check like when are you actually on and do you always need to do it and what are you what are you looking for uh this is something i think yeah and then just setting rules it can be things like uh no phones at the table when we have dinner or um maybe a phone-free day in the week or um, if you're in an actual conversation with a friend don't take your phone to check your messages you know like this kind of things you can kind of keep yourself in check i would say yeah yeah and i and it's always it's always about not being too harsh on yourself as well you know if you enjoy something don't rule it out your life just because um you feel as though it's it's affecting your mental health i mean you can always find ways to um to alleviate that and sort of you know limit yourself and I think that's part of the process, isn't it? To sort of healing mental illnesses. I would say generally there are two two aspects also to this to this question, because, of course, social media can be a great way, especially in a lockdown, for example, depending on where you have been living through the pandemic to stay in touch. In that sense, it's, it can be a great way to connect. I think the issue is really when it when it takes the upper hand and you start to be or you start to feel that you cannot, uh, uh, I don't know, put your phone aside for a minute yeah you start to become reliant on it exactly so i think this is it's really about that's what i mean also to kind of have a more uh, conscious uh, way of dealing with social media and try and understand like okay how much have i used it today when uh, was it really necessary was it to connect with somebody or was it just because i i was bored or mindless you know so i think it's really important to kind of have a, a more conscious way but that being said yeah it's a very broad topic because so many things happen in and around this phone that it's sometimes even hard to draw the line so if we were to kind of delve a bit more into that then, we were having a really interesting guest last week called Aurora and we kind of spoke about having a healthy relationship with social media but also the fact is, you know, not being too harsh on yourself or like critical because as we all know, social media can kind of bring out the comparison game quite a bit. Um, so kind of delve into that aspect of it then. How could you deal with the fact that if you are too critical or harsh on yourself? I mean, look, also, I mean, I hope I will not come across as that there's always two sides to the same question kind of person. But in fact, also <laughs> here, you know, there, there are two sides to it because I think that to a certain degree, self-criticism is an important uh, mechanism. I think it can be if, if it stays within a healthy parameter, something that really helps us advance. I think it, it can mm-hmm. ignite a certain healthy sense of, of uh, self-improvement, I would say. Because think yeah. of the opposite. Think of think of somebody that is really not critical of themselves ever. I would assume that you would find them very obnoxious. At least I would. Mm. So in that sense, you know, like self criticism, there is, I think, a, a, a driving, a healthy driving force to it. But then again, if if uh, it, it becomes um, too much, and if you start to feel that it paralyzes you. And that, for example, it stands in your way of, of acting natural in social situations because you feel like people might think you're dumb or uh, in, uh, mm. incompetent or might laugh at you and stuff. Then we're entering the, the realm of uh, social anxieties that we've been speaking about earlier uh, in our conversation. So I think it's really about understanding also where uh, the limit is, you know, when is it healthy mm. and pushes you in, in the right direction 
uh, and you can benefit from being self-critical and when does it stand in your way mm. um it's a bit off topic now as well Danilo. I, i've always been i've been meaning to ask this and it's something i've actually wanted to ask psychologists before um why psychology what what made you want to go into the industry uh, into the psychology sort of world and, and you know i mean what led you into it i find it extremely fascinating to understand why people do what they do mm. um because I think that there is often way more truth than just following historical facts, you know, like really that's that's also one of the reasons why I started the podcast, because I find that often the way that uh, events are reported on is is very just chronological and factual. And I or if you think of political debates, for example, it's often like a he said, she said kind of situation. Um, and and I often find that there is much more truth in understanding the very simple question of why did that person say this and why did they behave in a certain way and i find that often that uncovers way more truth than just uh hearing the words and looking at the facts oh, right. i didn't want to come across as like an interviewer <laughs> <laughs> you know your elevator pitch you just <laughs> but um yeah believe it or not that's what drew me into psychology as well danilo was the fact that you know trying to find out the why jack as you know i sometimes give psychological reasons behind things you know i just can't help myself i, I don't know i just love it it's seriously fascinating yeah anyway moving on from that for a second and i've got one final question that i've got to ask and that is about the news now the news as we all know isn't necessarily a happy thing to watch you know it can include murders covid deaths you know it's not nice so I guess my question is, how can people stay informed without becoming too overwhelmed? Yeah, uh, I, I really, I'm, I'm, I'm not the best person to pamper people when it comes to this question, because I think that you should just stay informed, period. Um, of course, if there is anything that triggers you because of whatever traumatic event that you might have endured in your past, that's probably a different story than you might be want to be careful with uh, seeking specific, bless you, um, types of information but generally i think that staying informed is the only way also to protect yourself from falling into populist ideas mm. so i've i've done actually uh the first ever episode on my podcast was about QAnon, which is of course a big uh conspiracy uh theory or a group of people that believe in a specific conspiracy theory and what i found interesting in that context is understanding that actually be starting to believe in, in false ideas often has nothing to do with uh, the level of intelligence of people. So, mm -hmm. you know, like saying, oh, these people are just stupid would be the easy way out. But often it's just um, a lack of ability uh, of, of, of discourse. So meaning looking at uh, topics from different angles, different viewpoints, uh, understanding the pros and cons of a specific question. And this is what keeps people um, in check and keeps them uh, or makes them uh, habilitates them to 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 actually um, yeah uh, follow follow discourse and and have a real discussion about things and I think in order to be able to do this you need to be informed you need to understand uh, are there more than just this one viewpoint that my aunt or my father told me uh, to uh, to this specific question so I do think it's important to stay informed there's unfortunately no way around it yeah, yeah. And in terms of um, confidentiality as well, because obviously you're dealing with a lot of clients on a day to day basis. And let's say, for example, a client's talking about um, his mental health or her mental health, and they're talking about potential suicide or something like that. How do you keep that to yourself? I mean, is it is it is it important to sort of keep that fame of confidentiality when you are talking to clients? Of course, always. 
It's a hundred percent. However, I mean, when it comes to suicide, there is a there is an exception. First of all, probably as a coach, you will not be dealing with suicidal, or you shouldn't. That's yeah. the the point. Where as a coach, you should also say like, listen, you really need to see a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist yeah. or somebody that is uh, in the in the actual um, healthcare realm, uh, because when it comes to um, uh, suicidal, not only thoughts but uh, attempts, you, uh, actually people have. Uh, to inform authorities about this so at least in the netherlands and in germany uh, it it has to be uh, reported and people usually will be uh, hospitalized um, if they were uh, acting on their suicidal thoughts or attempted to at least so that's the the only the only point where you you have to step out of confidentiality but otherwise, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's it's a sad thought, but obviously it does happen quite regularly, doesn't it? I mean, um, and especially in your occupation as well, you, you probably do find that some people might um, be honest with you and tell you about their suicidal thoughts. You know, even teachers, um, anyone, anyone gets it. You know, um, but it's just yeah, something we've got to deal with as a society, really. Yeah, there's there's as I said, there's a difference. Coaches are not therapists, and I think that's something that coaches really need to be aware of often, because of course, uh, ther- therapy, unless it's psychological psychotherapy, um, is often not a protected term, depending on the country that you live in. Um, but I do think as coaches, you really need to train. Uh, humility and self-awareness as to where your limits are so in fact when i coach i very rarely speak to people who have a full-blown expression of a mental disorder usually they might be somewhere on the spectrum of course for either of the of the possible uh, mental disorders that exist but usually they're mostly quite highly functioning individuals that have professional questions uh, that have specific conflicts with, uh, I don't know, colleagues or a boss or a partner that reoccur. So that's more the type of stuff that I'm dealing with. So when it comes to actually uh, treating depression or anxiety or any other mental disorder, um, I would would just not even take somebody on as a coachee. I would always say, listen, if I understand that in the initial conversation, first interview, I would say, listen, you you do... probably need somebody that is more equipped to helping you with this than myself yeah i know what you mean all right is, has covid sort of made you have to work from home now or do you, do you go into offices or um have you how have you worked usually um i've done a mix i've uh, worked from home yeah i've worked in co-working spaces i've worked in offices um but mostly from home i would say 80 percent of the time oh tell you what <laughs> i think most people will be you know so thankful once when this is over and they can get back to their normal lives <laughs> Um, yeah the, yeah i mean that's one thing that we did the other day didn't we jack we actually met up for the first time in like how long a year and a half yeah something mad like that really so, yeah. yeah so believe it or not me, me and jack we actually live really close to each other but the fact is when we do like podcasts we're just cool we never really meet so i think it was literally last week wasn't it jack is the first yeah. time we met up for yeah, like was. such a long time oh so did you start your podcast remotely as well um yeah yeah well we started it during covid but um we we started it i think in january uh, and we basically just started doing it online yeah. and obviously things like that. And we hadn't we hadn't meet each, met each other since I think about February 2020, I think it was. Yeah, night out, yeah. wasn't it? Last time we saw each other was on a night out and then obviously all that kind of closed. And yeah, I was in uni, Jack was working, we just never really met up, did we? No, no. Unfortunately not. Crazy. Sad times. Because you sound like you, you'll be speaking on a very regular basis. You seem super familiar with one another and very uh, <laughs> friendly. So yeah, I would have expected that you probably <laughs> oh, hang out Oh, thank you. Lot. Yeah, we do. I mean, we try, we try to, at least, you know, with COVID and everything, that we have to follow restrictions. But um, 
Well, um, we do call and text like three times a week, but like from now on, we've got to start meeting a lot more face to face. Anyway, enough about us. And uh, thank you ever so much for joining us today, Danilo. Seriously, I've learned a yeah. hell of a lot. And hopefully you guys have found this yeah. podcast super, super interesting. Just from this short conversation, my eyes have been opened, you know, completely new perspective. And awareness for mental health needs to be raised, especially with it on the increase. But yeah, thank you ever so much for joining us today, Danilo. So, I mean, Danilo, I mean, if you ever want us to be on your podcast or anything like that, you know, feel free to let us know. And we'll be happy to sort of exchange the favour. But it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. Um, did you want to give any shout outs now towards the end? or No, I just wanted to say thank you for having me. It was uh, super nice to be interviewed uh, about psychological questions. It's always interesting to share. And I hope that your listeners can benefit from that in some sort of way. I'm sure they will. Um, and stay tuned for the Chatbox podcast, where we'll be broadcasting every week on Monday. So please do get in touch. And please do follow us on Twitter at The Chatterbox, where we'll keep you informed. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care. And good night.